0: Coming up on this week's episode of TechSnap, Al and I are out at different shenanigans, and we've put together something pretty neat, a retrospective of the last year of the Target breach, starting from when the news broke to all of the lessons learned and some of the shenanigans since then. It's packed full of goodies. Stay tuned for a special episode of TechSnap. Everyone, and welcome to TechSnap, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly systems network and administration podcast. We very sneakily streamed this episode live on April 14th, 2016. This episode is brought to you by our three fine sponsors, DigitalOcean, Ting, and iX Systems. Oh, our live stream? Why, well, that's powered by the incredible Scale Engine. Over at scaleengine.com, you should go check that out. My name is Chris, and joining us every single week is our host, the admin, the tech, and the teacher, Mr. Alan Jude. Hey there, Alan. Hey, Chris, everybody. Thanks for watching. Hello, sir. I'm really looking forward to today's episode because we are trying something new. You and I <clears throat> were talking about uh, your upcoming trip to the Open Source Data Center <clears throat> conference in Berlin, uh, which happens to be landing while I'm at LinuxFest Northwest-ish. Yes. It's sadly it's the reason why I couldn't come to Linux Fest Northwest
1: and enjoy all the...
0: But next year, stuff. we'll just party harder. Yeah. Uh, but... We were talking about some major story events that have happened in TechSnap history, and there there are a lot to pick from, and some that are seem mm-hmm. to be developing uh, even just in the last couple of weeks. Well,
1: just th- that was what we were talking about. Uh, you know there was a report on the, the Sony Pictures Entertainment right. Hack right which isn't actually the same as. The Sony hack that was the first episode of TechSnap. Which was about the PlayStation.
0: It just kind of bookends the entire five years of the show. It's kind of impressive. One of of the – boy, besides from me losing my voice after all those years. One of the other kind of big stories is the target breach. And we were looking at our production calendar. We just crossed the year mark not that long ago from that big epic target breach that sort of changed – Data breaches for companies going forward since then.
1: Yeah, it is the first time there. It was actually, you know, infecting the point of sale systems and, and yeah. going after the embedded stuff, right? And, and it, then we saw the same thing happen at Home Depot and then PF Changs, and it just kind of spiraled and snowballed from there. And
0: it had a, it had the perfect timing with the sunsetting support of XP, and of course these machines yep. ran XP, and yep. so we watched something fascinating happen. And it began with conjecture and how could they have gotten in and gotten to these all all these systems? And then through the process of the show for following the story, we eventually end up with a definitive report on exactly what happened. And it's interesting to look back, uh, despite my horrible outfits, it's interesting to look back at uh, sort of the evolution of a story like that. And so we thought, you
1: know, how they got in through the HVAC system Mm -hmm. and how, you know, Target had high-end corporate uh, security software that actually detected the problem, but it detected so many false positives that, the admins were just ignoring it.
0: Yeah, didn't. you know that's good point, Alan. That's one of the things I remember jumping out was like, oh, there are there are nuggets that we could all take away from this breach. That you know it's there are like, sins we've all committed in administrative networks. Target was
1: actually doing the right thing and and having all this extra stuff. Mm-hmm. They just weren't using it properly.
0: Yeah, and and it and shows
1: that you know. There are products you can buy, but they only work as well as you configure them. And sometimes there's just no way to configure it to detect only the things that matter, because only a human can look at each one of these events and tell you if it's a good thing or a bad thing. Or, yeah, or and you know, trend analysis to notice,
0: hey, one thing the that, that I think, or worse, one thing that I would say, w- I will probably stick out to you as you're re- as you're rewatching some of this. At least I hope it. I hope it does. Is If you're hearing about this in the context of Target being breached, imagine smaller scale versions of these misconfigurations and mismanagements across all of the little small businesses out there that just simply – aren't important enough to generate headlines. And so they don't get coverage. And that's another interesting aspect as you watch this. So we've had it all put together. We hope you enjoy it. And we'll see you back here uh, at the other end. Yeah. Well, you know, maybe you could help target out because uh, they seem to be having problems managing some of their servers. And uh, that's where our first story takes us this week from Krebs on security. And I guess there's been a data breach at uh, target, like the store, right?
1: Yes. The, the store. Uh, so
0: apparently, uh, uh target has confirmed
1: that there was a breach, uh, and that as many as 40 million credit card and debit cards uh, were accessed uh, starting the day before Thanksgiving. Oh. So just in time for Black Friday. Yeah. Uh, and that the hackers had access to the company's uh, systems until at least December 15th. Oh, so like a few days ago. Yeah, well, they thought they, uh, they contained it on December 7th. Uh, and then it turns out they still had access to some stuff.
0: I mean, what do you expect when you paint a big target on your back?
1: <laughs> Get it. Or the front of your store. Yeah. <laughs> hey. Uh, so according to sources at two uh, different of the top ten credit card issuers in the States, yeah, uh, the breach extends to nearly every target location nationwide and involves theft of data stored on the mag- uh, magnetic stripe of the card. So it's not just the card numbers from a database, but it was actually everything from swiping the card. Uh, so that means that they can... Um, Write that data to new like oh blank program. cards or or like that gift coin cards or
0: card,
1: <laughs> yeah. Or you know you can go buy a bunch of five dollar gift cards and then reprogram them to be so. Sold was, it, credit was, cards.
0: was Target's machine storing that information?
1: It's not clear if that's what happened or if they actually infected like the point of sales
0: terminals and were like. That, uh, that definitely the data sounds a lot more being... sophisticated. It sounds more likely yeah. that Target was storing that for some reason. It depends, but yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. Um a lot of point of sale systems are old Windows XP machines with a graphical interface done on top, right?
0: Yeah. So,
1: is if if you can get inside that network, uh, or if you know that network is accidentally connected to the internet, or who knows exactly what we don't know yet, mm-hmm. uh, but it'd be very easy to exploit all those Windows XP machines that you know probably don't have any of the updates installed since they were installed, right? Right. Uh, and then you can just have a. Logger or or malware or rootkit or whatever. And they're Probably on, you know. The, in, in
0: the, the reality case. too, and it's a, when it's a large enterprise deployment where it's like a point of sales machine, essentially appliance running XP yep. with a GUI on top. A lot of times, it's the same exact version of everything, top to bottom, because yep. it could even be image based, and it, it, mm-hmm. you need to like, be the same because you want it to be standardized across the enterprise for all your different support personnel. So usually, yep. if you, you if you if you come up with one point of attack for a software stack like that, it could work across all the machines. So I could see that. Yep. But my bet would still be them storing it for some reason. could be one or the other. Uh, Or maybe the I don't know if
1: you you might have to store it for certain Mm. things. I don't know.
0: Yeah. Uh, But
1: if they were storing it, it's supposed to be encrypted and a bunch of other things that seemed like it would make it harder to pull off that way than it would be to target the point of sales terminals directly.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, like we've we've seen some of them where they just go and stick in a tiny little key logger uh, between that device and the computer and try to capture the... Oh, yeah. Credit card numbers as they go through. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, They say uh, if the attackers also managed to capture the PIN numbers for debit cards, then they could program those cards uh, onto blank gift cards or whatever and withdraw cash at ATMs, which is a lot easier to get away with than, uh, you know, walking into a store and trying to buy a TV with it or something. Sure. Yeah. And, you know, it's a little more valuable, right? A bunch of stolen or, you know, bought with stolen credit card TVs, you can sell them to people at, you know, some outrageous discount to get some cash, but you know, you are always going to only get such and such a percent of the money you could have stolen. Whereas, if you can just take money out of an ATM, then you have
0: the money, right? No kidding. Well, wow, and it's it's, and, uh, it's it's no. I mean, talk about it, no better time to strike like this, right? As the shopping season just totally goes into full force and you're gonna have as many credit cards running through that system at probably that they have all year it seems
1: it seems targeted specifically to be ready for black friday
0: yeah definitely
1: uh so target has an official statement on their website about it uh threat post has some pretty good coverage and the uh, chicago tribune has uh, like a news stories with you know Random people, they walked up into the mall and asked them what they thought of it.
0: Approximately 40 million credit card and debit card accounts. Yeah, that's the other thing. Some of this is just tied to people's debit uh, accounts. They're not necessarily credit card accounts.
1: Yeah, and some of them, because of the way banks have structured things, it's harder to claim fraud when it's a debit card and they have your PIN number.
0: Uh, however, if you'd like more information about Target's commitment to corporate responsibility, you can just go to corporate.target.com/slash/corporate-responsibility. <laughs> of course,
1: <laughs> I wonder what that says. Some vague statement about how they promise they will try harder. <laughs>
0: um, yeah, and I'm sure that uh, I'm sure that they'll be offering uh, free credit protection monitoring for a year, which seems to be now just the boilerplate response to when they screw up like this. Yep, this is the kind of thing where. It's just uh, funny when it's
1: experienced doing that.
0: I would love to know more information, just from like a securing other retailer standpoint. Like, where did Target go wrong? What information can you give us without? Would, yeah, for, I'm not
1: sure. Um, part of it is that you know they're working with law enforcement, so they don't want yeah, to give out too many it's details. It's an ongoing yet, investigation, but, yeah. and it's entirely possible they have no idea.
0: I know, but even you know, so many right, stories like, like, like this. I know when the when the cards
1: start getting. Um, used fraudulently yeah and then the credit card companies are like well when we look at all the cards that got stolen here uh we see that the only place they all shopped in common was a target store and you know
0: i mean at least they're you know i'll give them this um they're getting the word out pretty fast yeah this just happened a few days ago i know but i mean i'm I'm at least i'm glad they're doing that i just uh i would love to see and we just never really see it with any of these stories some kind of follow up that says, "Well, here's basically what happened, and so you need to take these steps to prevent that because otherwise right. you That's
1: just the only times we seem to get that are companies that have a real IT department that right is allowed to publish things like that or like, sell these that, kind of or, services. Uh, the Onion did one when they got oh, yeah. hacked, and uh, the Financial Times, and uh, you know, a couple other websites like that, or you know, companies that have the right culture where their IT department can actually. Write something just for the benefit of everybody else, not, uh, you know, PR. Yeah, a lot of times they're like, no, we'll, we'll let our PR person make a, a generic statement about yeah.
0: how well they're we'll more worried it. about the stock price than they are about protecting future consumers. Right. Whereas you know, to. the
1: having your regu- your press release and stuff is normal and fine, but we're talking about like real technical detail, right? All you have to do is couch it in terms of this is only meant to be read by people that know what they're talking about. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and release it like on details. special lists and whatnot. Uh, well, so if uh, you think you might be one of the 40 million, uh, if you shopped at Target over that date range, the link Alan has in the show notes has a phone number you can call to report fraudulent activity. So go check your bank accounts, people. Watch, what, your, watch your credit card statements.
1: Uh, what I like is my credit card has a service. I get a text message every time it's used. Oh that is nice, yes, yeah, it's always funny it's like I'm at the computer store and I swipe the card or whatever <laughs> and it still process like authorized please wait and then my yeah my phone goes bling yeah and then it's like done and it's like, wow, that's nice and quick
0: that is really cool. that's actually a really great feature yep. I
1: wonder why more people don't Except offer for when when British companies bill me in the middle of the night it's like my phone's
0: going off oh, and it's like ah. Yeah. That would be. I don't be a care p- that Red Station charged me for that server. Right. Yeah, I could see that happening quite a bit. Before we go any further, let's take a moment and thank DigitalOcean, another great sponsor here on the Tech Snap program. Go to DigitalOcean.com and use that promo code SnapOcean. It's one promo code of power. Put together, SnapOcean gives you a ten dollar credit over DigitalOcean, where you can spin up a rig in no time, in less than fifty five seconds. That's nuts. That's nuts. <laughs> That is, that is that is very quick. In less than 55 seconds, you'll have your machine up and going, and for less than you would think. $5 a month gives you 512 megabytes of RAM, a 20 gigabyte SSD, one CPU, and a terabyte, a terabyte of transfer. Now, and digital, you can get bigger ones if you want. You know what? They also have launched, I don't know if you saw this, but they're uh, it's just early access sign-up right now, but they are launching their block storage program. Which I started
1: e- to hear about this, but I don't know much about it. yet. Yeah, I,
0: I'm looking forward to hearing more about it too. But I think it's going to be very cool. Now they already have a very straightforward pricing structure for DigitalOcean. So it starts at five dollars a month, and then just increments. It's up, it's way up from there. And each increment, you get a lot more stuff. And it's it's obvious. Yeah. Uh, they I'm also expecting uh, very similar for the block storage. Yeah, I, I hope so. And yeah. I think this solves the problem you were having.
1: It's like, well, i want to take my yeah. you know my. DigitalOcean Ocean droplet, but I want to make it my own cloud.
0: Yeah. So I need a bunch of storage mm-hmm, for it. Mm-hmm. And right now, I've got a 40 gigabyte, S- uh, gigabyte SSD. Eventually, I'm going to want to expand that. So that block storage might be coming around just at the right time. Now, if you're just experimenting with stuff, maybe you're developing, maybe you're testing, they also offer hourly pricing. Then our $10 credit will really get you some mileage. It's super great. And they have some of the best tutorials out there. You hear us talk about Puppet and Chef and Ansible a lot. Well, they have. A three-part series on an introduction to configuration management. Mm-hmm. Really well written, extremely well put together, very informative about different environments. Definitely they worth have your some time. Great tutorials
1: on FreeBSD as well. I actually used one <laughs> yesterday. <laughs> no, this morning. This morning, actually, um, I needed to figure uh, local unbound to run a DNS server on my mail server because if you use the bulk ones, you get blocked from all the <laughs> the blacklists because they get too many requests. Uh, and so I was like, how do I set up Local Unbound? And it's like, oh, well, the best tutorial on that is right here at DigitalOcean. I'm nice. like, Brah! Yeah, that's true. How come I didn't know that?
0: They, they do a great job with it, and they take it very seriously. And that's true for their whole service. Check them out at DigitalOcean.com. They've got data centers all over the world. They have a great interface, a fantastic straightforward API you can take advantage of because there's code already written or just use it yourself. It's very easy. And you can get started with our promo code. Snap Ocean and get a $10 credit and support this show at DigitalOcean.com. Now, Alan, if only Target had used DigitalOcean. <laughs> well, uh, so there's been one story that has definitely threaded its way through the last few tech snaps over the last couple of weeks, and that has been this massive breach at Target. Now, the total customers are estimating is up to 110 million, and Krebs on Security has been doing some really great digging, and we've gotten some good right. insights now. It-
1: and last week there was almost enough and I was like ah oh, debating putting it in the show but yeah. the, the big
0: break isn't there yet uh, but now it is. Yeah, now we know how it actually happened, don't we? Or at least yes. uh, so some mechanics. Of
1: it. Yeah, so, you know, the massive breach resulted in 110 million credit cards being lost uh, and now we finally have some details about how uh, the attackers apparently managed to install malware on the point of sales terminals used uh, at the checkout lines. Now, the fact that they managed to do this on what appears to be every single point of sales terminal at every single target store, as opposed to, you know, we've talked about other ones before where they distract the clerk, walk up and like plug in a, a USB a key drive logger in, Yeah. In. Yeah. Or a, or a hardware key logger between sure. the, the point of sales terminal is just typing numbers in as if it was a keyboard into the computer, mm-hmm. a little PS2 type one or whatever. Uh, but it doesn't appear that's what was happening here. Um, Apparently, also, there was a number of other stores and companies that were targeted and breached Yeah, uh, who haven't come out and publicly admitted it yet. So this attack apparently started uh, even as early as 2012 and was used against a whole bunch of different places, and they all just haven't uh, come out and said it
0: yet. Yeah, Target's taking the heat, and it could be affecting a lot of people.
1: Yeah, so it's, uh, it kind of seems like with all—now that it's kind of settled in, coming up and being, oh, us too— I'd I think it would look better if you did it now than later. But it also kind of asks the question: of Why didn't you do it when you found out a month ago? Right?
0: Yeah, and of course they'll probably use excuse. Oh, we—they'll use excuse. We were researching the extent of the breach.
1: Right. Mm-hmm. Well, you have to notify your customers right away, otherwise your customers can't take the required steps to protect themselves. And, you know that's why we have laws in Canada about disclosure and things like that. Hmm. Anyway. Uh, an unidentified source told Krebs that the uh, apparently they found some ties back to a Windows SharePoint user, uh, T-T-C-O-P-S-C-L-I-3-A-C-S. I have no idea what that's supposed to mean. <laughs> uh, and it matches a sample analyzed by the malware scanning uh, websites, and the thieves set up a username, uh, best1 underscore user, to be able to log in and download the stolen credit card data uh, with the password backupu dollar sign R, as in user.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, The class of malware identified by Krebs is often referred to as a memory scraper because what it does is, you know, uh, when you swipe your card in the point-of-sales terminal, it briefly keeps the data from the magnetic stripe that it just swiped uh, in its memory so it can do the operations it needs to do to charge your card and see if it worked so that you don't have to leave your card in it or swipe it multiple times, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, But the malware is just able to... Download that and, and pilfer for it. Right, so as if, you know, running your card through a skimmer, except for it was the actual and, point of sales. And so term. I
0: guess the implication there is the point of sales software was storing it. Would it, would it have to store it in plain text so. in memory?
1: Um, no, but it's memory. You don't expect it to be compromised. Right, yeah. The point is that the point of sales terminal shouldn't have been exposed to being compromised, right? Mm-hmm. It should be isolated and stuff. Mm-hmm.
0: And they probably shouldn't be running Windows either, but that's a different thing. They were running Windows XP embedded, as a matter of fact, yeah. yeah. And the Windows embedded for point-of-service uh, software. Yeah,
1: which is basically Windows XP where they're not ending support. For
0: Target's <laughs> Canadian stores run PonoSale devices from Realitex and uh, hardware from NCR. So yeah.
1: perhaps not run uh, XP. So, well, yeah, so Target's Canadian stores, which they only got recently when they bought them from the Hudson's Bay company, which is the oldest uh, commercial company in North America because it's been operating for 340 years before Canada or the U.S. were even a country. Uh, (laughs) And according to sources, the retail X point-of-sale system will be rolled out uh, at all U.S. locations. So it suggests it's not vulnerable to the same type of attack and is better. Mm. That
0: would appear to be the case.
1: And there's also a PDF file here that um, somebody, probably from Target or whoever's investigating for them, Uploaded the uh, malware and to, to a scanner, and it's since been taken down so that people can't read the report. But Krebs grabbed a copy for you. He sure and, did, uh, didn't he? Yep. And US CERT has issued an advisory about the technique uh, and how they're doing it so that other stores are aware to protect their uh, point of sale terminals.
0: I'm trying to find the. Oh, here it is. Here it is. Okay, so ours Technica wrote a bit about it, and they said. Um, the malware, the malware searches for credit card data before it's been encrypted and sent to the remote payment processor. The malware then scrapes it. Uh, but one of the things they talked about, which I thought was really interesting, is uh, Krebs went on to report that the sources told him they broke into Target after hacking a company web server. From there, the attacker somehow managed to upload the point-of-sale malware to a checkout machine located at various stores. Sources then said the attackers appeared to then establish a control server inside Target's internal network that served as a central repository for all the data hoovered up by all the infected point-of-sales devices. The attackers appeared to have had persistent access to the internal server and the ability allowed them to periodically log in and collect fearful pilfered data. So you've got point of sales malware. You've got island hopping from a web server. It's everything we've talked about on TechSnap for 145 episodes. It's exactly yep. the type of attack we've talked about by the letter. If, if one person
1: at the target IG department had watched this show, they wouldn't have had this problem.
0: It's pretty amazing. And you know, you see how this is a, such a brilliant and poignant example of why completely unrelated systems can lead to compromising each other. So they got in through a web server, and then from a web server, the island hopped to some network that had these point of sales devices. Now, why weren't these which, properly uh, isolated? Uh, et cetera? Yeah, but, but
1: you shouldn't have been able to get yeah. from where the web server but it happens is, all the time. Probably should have been in a you know a DMZ. Yep, uh, into where the the. Point of sales terminals are.
0: Uh, unless, I think
1: part of the problem is that the point of sales terminals are probably they're treated like a device, right? It's yeah. something that some other manufacturer makes. We install, connect to the network, and that's it. We don't know what it runs. We don't look at it.
0: Whatever. Right. Well, and I have a, a local, and, you know, a local burger chain that I love going to. They've been clients of mine in the past, and all of their point of sales devices are running Windows XP embedded. Again, and yep. what well, the thing is is uh, they reviewed. Several software packages designed for restaurants, and uh, they all used XP. Okay, so yep. and this is a problem as as we now know XP support ends at what April. I mean, this yep. we could be seeing the very beginning of what's going to be an ongoing well, problem with these the, types of devices,
1: right? But uh, the XP support ending has no impact on these because it's not like they've been getting the Windows right. updates for the last ten years. As it is, good point. Yep. Like I, I imagine most of these aren't even running Service Pack Two or three whatever the really really big service pack that made a difference it for doesn't XTLs. matter
0: all we have to do is reboot them and it wipes back to the rom and uh, no changes are applied it's fine of course it doesn't reboot for three weeks and so the entire time it runs malware but that's uh, fine <laughs> yeah and they just
1: make it persistent and reinfect it right
0: yeah it's pretty interesting that it sounds like uh it sounds like uh they had persistent access for a while um I'm reading through the rest of it, and this is actually kind of what happened to 7-Eleven back in 2009, too. They had a SQL injection vulnerability on 7-Eleven's website, and the attacker got in via that and was able to get data off their point-of-sale systems. So pff, it's just an ongoing problem, I guess. Good write-up from Krebs. He's really been digging into this, and he's been trying to work with Target, but is not based on his— Well, it seems like he has sources for the people that are working with right, the Target. Right, but Target won't go on the record with this stuff. Well, yeah. I guess that's not too surprising. Okay, Alan, well, why don't we uh shift gears a little bit and talk about target? It seems like this story has been going on for almost a a month now in the textnet program, and now yeah. it's kind of getting a little embarrassing. What's going on?, uh, not quite uh, but you know uh as we talked about a little bit last week,
1: um Symantec had posted the on their threat they post when somebody sends a malware, they analyze it and post the results uh and then we've seen that that had been taken down mm-hmm. and uh Luckily, Brian Krebs grabbed a copy of Google Cache before it disappeared from there as well. Ah, uh, good man. Yeah, uh, and that's up on his website still. Um, but you could see stuff like uh, apparently even the IP address of one of the uh, point-of-sales terminals, which could allow someone to continue messing around. Uh, but it also gave you know quite a bit of detail about how the malware was constructed and so on. And apparently there's a, a concern that this was going to interfere with the ongoing investigation or
0: um hmm. uh,
1: Tip off the attackers about how much the researchers know, maybe, and cause them to cover their tracks sooner rather than later and stuff. Okay. I don't know. Uh, But a bunch of different uh, security companies have either been self-censoring or have been getting nasty threats from somebody and uh, pulling down uh, their analysis and information about the target breach.
0: So they'll have a post up. They'll be talking about it. They've had a story they've ran, and then they're opting to take that story off their website based on maybe getting contacted, do you think, or what? Uh, Yeah, I'm not sure if they're getting contacted or if it's, and if it's just like, hey,
1: that might interfere with our ongoing investigation, or if it's like, hey, take that down or we'll be mad at you. Uh, But it seems that they're voluntarily taking it down. Yeah, so the one we talked about was Symantec's thing. Uh, Also, iSight Partners, which is a Dallas-based cybersecurity company that is uh, working with the U.S. Secret Service on some stuff. Yeah. Uh, they published a series of questions and answers on their website related to the attack on point-of-sales devices at U.S. retailers. And uh, as of today, that has been pulled down.
0: So some people are calling this censorship. It doesn't really, so you don't think well, it's so much that.
1: self-censorship, it has a different meaning than censorship, right? It just means not saying everything you know because you want to be nice or whatever. Right? That's self-censorship true. is when you don't tell someone they look fat.
0: Right? And, and I that's guess what it,
1: that's what the meaning of the word it's, it's different than, you know, censorship has kind of gotten up is a bad thing necessarily. But self-censorship yeah. just means
0: thinking about what you say before you say it. And they could maybe, after the investigation is completed, repost some of these things. See, what I go back oh, to sorry. on this is always one of the best things that could happen is if people give as much details as they can, so that way other people can improve their security systems and prevent yeah. the same thing happening to them. Part of this might have to do with the fact
1: that uh, as many as six other U.S. companies are believed to have been victims of this point-of-sales-related attack. Yeah. And so far, only Target and Nyman Marcus have come mm-hmm. forward, mm-hmm. Uh, which is a bad thing, right? If if your network was compromised and you compromised my personal information, you have to tell me immediately. That's the law in Canada.
0: Hmm. <clears throat> I look at this, too, as also a bit of a culture clash. Like, I think there is probably uh, a group of people in business that, or maybe in law enforcement that think it's inappropriate to post details about these breaches.
1: Right, you know, it's typical uh, law enforcement procedure not to give out any details until the investigation is over. And part of that, you know, has more to do with, um, you know, not tainting jury pools and things like that. Uh, And I'm not sure that, you know, in in the computer world full disclosure has kind of been a thing for a while yeah although we have responsible disclosure as well so you know as long as all the details come out in short order then that's fine i'm like i'm okay with holding it back while things are still evolving Mm -hmm. uh and once it's safe to do so giving out all the detail i just don't agree with hiding the details if that makes sense
0: I see. So there's a quote here from a semantics spokesperson. It says, we took the initiative to remove it because we didn't want the information to compromise the IC. So That's where you get in the ongoing investigation.
1: And uh, so what Intel's McAfee site did was just redact the post and remove a bunch of the technical detail and replace it with, like, angle brackets and, you know, EPOS IP instead of the IP address and just angle bracket username instead of the actual username. Sure, that
0: makes sense. Don't need that info anyways, really.
1: (coughs) Right. Uh, and then Alex Holden, uh, who's the founder of Hold Security and is also the guy that, uh, along with Brian Krebs, brought us the Adobe breach information. Right? Mm. They found that server with all the stuff on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, he said it was the right move for Symantec to pull the report as attackers might have been able to use this information to compromise other point of sales device vendors. So apparently, you know, knowing all the details of the attack against Target could allow someone else to attack some other store.
0: Yeah, but it also would allow another sysadmin or a network operations person to make this necessary fixes. And I almost—I right. mean, the thing I caution against. At the same against, time,
1: it would force the other stores to hurry up and secure their right. systems. And the right? thing, that's the argument for full disclosure. I, I, I would—I would
0: caution against like uh, having your hold security and your Krebs. Not that they would, but having people like them who who know all the details. So the only way to really protect yourself, if you have a massive point of sale system deployment, is to hire them and pay them right. because the information isn't freely available.
1: Right, that's not good. So, holding a bag for a certain amount of time—that's reasonable—to give people time to patch their stuff and so on. Because I think uh, U.S. CERT has been putting out information about to, you know, the people that use these point of sale systems on how to secure them. Uh, but you know, a certain window of time to allow people to secure their systems is fine. Mm-hmm. But after that, the details need to be made public. Yeah. Yeah, that. Uh, Holden says, I was surprised that this information was posted on the internet in the first place. Uh, besides having a target machine's name and its IP address, system structure, and drive mappings, it disclosed a very vital set of credentials set up specifically for exploitation of the device. Mm. So it gave the username and password, if yeah. you remember, the username and password uh, used that were part of the malware that allowed you to connect the machine and, and exfiltrate the data. Yeah, that's too much. I don't know because it's it's part of the malware. It's not like we were giving out the administrator password for the target network, right? It was just the credentials used by the malware, which oftentimes gives you in, insight into the malware author, right? If they're going to pick their password based on, you know, some indication of who they are or what they're like or whatever, right? Mm, okay. Okay. So it's um, you know, uh, unless unless there are other vendors that are still compromised by this malware, where I could then go and exfiltrate card data, ah. uh, it doesn't, I don't see that that password is very useful. Right? <clears throat> like knowing the password that was used for, for the, the malware. Yeah, the so malware right. is
0: removed, then yeah. it doesn't matter. That's a good theory, is maybe there are active infections still out there. Possibly.
1: Uh, it'll be interesting to find out what the six other U.S. companies <laughs> that are st- already compromised yeah. are.
0: Yeah, I would like to know because... Uh, i mean hopefully i target must have been the largest or else we'd probably know by now right i hope because boy if it's another major yeah this is an interesting problem as all of these companies kind of have this huge presence you get hacked one spot in anywhere in the in the country and everybody's stuff gets exposed could just be you know if it was another if it was a walmart or fred meyers or any grocery store chain i mean a lot of more people could be affected Before we go any further, we just stop for a moment right here and full stop say thank you to iX Systems for sponsoring this here episode of the TechSnap program. iXSystems.com slash TechSnap. Go find servers built around those Intel processors designed for your workload from itsy-bitsy all the way up to massive unbelievable. Now, as I sit here right now, I am in utter envy of the BSD Now program because they have gotten their hands, as you know, on the new FreeNAS Mini XL. It is a sweet-looking rig. You should mm-hmm. check it out. They have information up on their blog over at ixsystems.com. So go to com slash techsnap first. Help us out by visiting that page. And then go check them out. Go look at the new rig. Look at this mm. thing, Alan. <laughs> look at all those bays. It is way, way taller. It's like, yep. uh, let's see. Well, oh, it's, still, it it's still fairly, like, that's
1: not even half the height of my tower. Exactly. That's you the know, damn it's impressive small. thing. Yeah. It's just they had to make it big enough to actually fit eight hard drives and enough fans to cool them.
0: Yeah, it really is a nice-looking rig. And, you know, I <sighs> am in bad need. I am in bad need. So the FreeNAS Mini XL, I wonder if they're going to keep the Mini name much longer. Uh, I think so. Yeah, I guess it's still because it's
1: still pretty – Compared to my storage servers, that is very small.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> also –
1: You know, it's, that. it's really not any deeper than the old one. It's just taller. Yeah, uh, and and the other nice thing
0: space. is not only does it take up a little bit of space, but the CPU only draws 17 watts. Yep. That. But I think the whole
1: thing, depending on configuration, is only like 40
0: or 50 watts. Wow. That is uh, nice. And, yep. Hot swap functionality with no tools, eight bays. Love yep. that. Dedicated it comes remote with management
1: 32 port. gigs of RAM, mm-hmm. uh, but upgradable to 64 gigs because it's gigs. the newer uh, Atom motherboard that can take that much.
0: Hardware accelerated uh, ZFS disk encryption.
1: Yep, so it has ASNI and uh, virtualization offload because newer Ooh. versions of FreeDAS can now use Beehive, and you can virtualize stuff on top of your. Uh, free NAS.
0: Man. And, of course, if you have some they, – they will build rigs that are monstrously large. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, is, it is a pretty, Ridiculously tiny. <laughs> yeah, down to, down to tiny machines. A great company with a great staff, really good engineering behind them, great customer service, and a great sales process that will make sure you get the right thing. You just start by going to ixsystems.com slash techsnap. So a big thank you to ix for sponsoring the TechSnap program, and congratulations uh, on making me totally jealous. Yep. I want one bad. That Chris Moore in his fancy – Free NAS Mini XL. Yep.
1: Although I think you would want, uh, you know, to fill it with bigger hard drives than Chris.
0: Oh, I didn't see what size drives you put in there. Well, uh, he,
1: he got eight one terabyte drives.
0: Oh well, that's still pretty but, nice. But yeah, yeah, yeah you're but, right. I probably you know, would.
1: You, you can get eight six terabyte. Now
0: we're talking. Now we're IX. You and I. We need to chat. IXsystems.com/slash/techsnap. Go check them out. Now back to the whole Target shenanigans. All right, Alan. Well, our next story comes right from Krebs on Security, a favorite resource here of this show. And we've finally gotten some real meat and potatoes details on this target breach that we've been talking about now since before Christmas, really, right? Yep. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it
1: was since, uh, like, it came out just after uh, uh, American
0: Thanksgiving. Yeah. Yeah. I thought so. But finally, now, here we are in January, we actually have an idea of what happened and what software was exploited. So where do we start, sir? Yes. Uh,
1: So... Krebs article here says an examination of the malware used in the target breach suggests that the attackers may have had help from a poorly secured feature built into the widely used IT management software. You know, as we previously noted, the attackers used malware uh, on the point of sales machines to send credit card data from memory to a central uh, control server at on the target internal network, which they called the dump server. Uh, Do you have the graphic up? Um, and then from that dump server, then they moved it to an exfiltration server which is a server that had access to the internet because the server they dumped all the data on didn't, you know, because they have separation, right? So only let machines that actually need to go to the internet so the machines that shouldn't be on the internet can't be on the internet. But when they're all on the same land and they don't have the separation there, then you just dump it all on the server that can talk to the POS machines and then move it from that, you know, island hop from that machine to a machine that can get to the internet and then exfiltrate it out to your stolen servers in Russia. Boom, boom. Uh, but as we learned originally, uh, the user account best1 underscore user with the password backup capital U dollar sign R uh, was used to log into that uh, a shared drive uh, in this type. Uh, in this case, it was letter S, but, you know, so Windows, you can map whatever drive whatever you want. Yeah. Uh, and that so that username is the same one that gets installed automatically by an IT management software suite called Performance Assurance for Microsoft Servers. Uh-huh. Uh, this product, according to its maker, uh, which is based in Texas called BMC Software, includes administrator level user account called best one underscore user. That's pretty clear. Uh, so BMC explains that the best one underscore user account is installed by their software to do routine tasks. Uh, article states that while the best one user account is essentially a system or administrator level account uh, on the host machine, it's not in any groups like administrator or users, so it shouldn't even be able to log into a machine.
0: Right. I mean, it's kind of like when you. I mean, it, it, the equivalent would be to give a, on a Unix equivalent would be a root user at with without a valid shell account, so they can't log into the shell. But uh, mm, I don't know that it was quite the same as it's supposed a root. to be like, like it's. They call it like a, a non-account with
1: UID zero, but yeah, it's right. They call it a account.
0: non-interactive account. Is the idea? Yeah, a service account. Yeah. And it's
1: it, only been it's you know it's the account you create over the side to run a cron script.
0: But you know we have seen exploits in the past where you have these service accounts that end up getting full login access. to Especially start Especially when
1: rather than having say a random password for each one, there's uh, the same password for every copy of that software on every machine that that software is installed on.
0: And I you know this plague so in 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 the Unix so land this, it, you it could kind of comes.
1: <laughs> you, go ahead. Go ahead.
0: Well, in the there Unix you land, you could do SSH keys, right? So you could have something log in and passwords wouldn't have to be involved and things like that. But in the Windows land, these management softwares very frequently rely on these domain-wide accounts that uh, it's the same. It's, because it's a domain account, it's, a, it's the same authentication on every single computer. And that's the only way for these, these systems to go in and, and pull down the information they need. And they have to have administrative level access to get the, the info from this, like read the event log and things like that. So it's, it's sort of a requirement. They're kind of damned if they do, damned if they don't. You can't in other words, you can't have these systems function without an account system like this. So tons of systems use this. Tons of it's not just BMC, a lot of them.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, you mentioned Unix and using SSH keys, but it's still not really the right way to do it. If you know the vendor has this one SSH private key. And they put the public key for that on every machine that has it. All someone needs is that one key, and they've now compromised every machine. Very true. You know, you should definitely have multiple keys and rotate them and stuff rather than just having that fixed. So, yeah. So, bad practice. It doesn't necessarily mean that every machine with this software installed is vulnerable. It may have been some other misconfiguration or some other exploit that allowed them to do it to Mm -hmm. be able to, to,
0: you know, add that user to a group that made them able to access that
1: share or something. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Also, uh, Dell SecureWorks issued a paper out. Uh, they did an analysis on this to people who have the BMC software and said, "Hey, you might want to be aware of this." BMC mm-hmm. responded, "said Well, they're just trying to they're just trying to leverage the, the legitimacy of our brand and blah 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 blah." Uh, it's not. It's not. Yes. Dell
1: SecureWorks is just trying to piggyback on the fact that everybody knows BMC software is good. <laughs>
0: yeah. So this is an interesting thing here where you've. You've got a pretty specific attack at this point. So you get in there, you're going specifically after a, an individual username and password for a specific IT management software. Now, it's not the most unknown software, so it's not that uncommon, but it still seems a little specific to me.
1: Um, I don't know their sales numbers or something, but it may be the kind of thing that you could assume any large corporation in the States would have installed on their Windows I network. I
0: actually found a list of customers, and I added it to the notes in a little bit, so yeah. I won't jump ahead. But yeah, I'll
1: let you continue. Yeah. So, you know, it might be that it was just a common, common vector enough. that yeah. was there. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so Dell uh, SecureWorks came up with the thing and they're basically finding some best practices and stuff for anyone that might have this software to make sure that they're not the next victim. Uh, and then BMC, you know, tries to spin that to make it not look like it, any of this might have been their fault or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway. So, according to SecureWorks, one component of the malware itself installed a service called BladeLogic, a service name no doubt inspired to mimic uh, BMC's product, which is called BMC BladeLogic Automation Suite. Ah, uh, definitely. So, they were, you know, disguising it so it would, wouldn't would stand out. So, if you're right? looking at a the list of services, next, it looks legit. Right, except for, you know, it just says BladeLogic instead of the longer BMC BladeLogic Automation Suite. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that's... A, it's. Almost social engineering, right? By giving it a name that looks close enough that, uh, you know, contains enough of the right buzzwords yep. that, you know, just get skipped over when you're scanning for things that don't belong. Oh, yep. I totally agree. That's what they're doing. According to sources trusted by uh, Krebs, uh, using mostly open source data to keep tabs on the software and hardware used at uh, various retail environments, Uh, BMC software is in use at many major retail and grocery chains across the country, including Kroger, Safeway, Home Depot, Sam's Club, and the Vons companies, along many, many others. Uh, Initial entry into the network is suspected uh, to have been facilitated by an SQL injection attack. Uh, So, you know, they think that originally they broke into the target website by SQL injection and then went on from there and eventually got into the internal network. Island hopped. Yeah, if that's true, then it really means that Target should have done a better job isolating their web servers from mm-hmm. the point-of-sale system. Mm-hmm. There should be no way to get from A to B there.
0: But. And, and a SQL injection attack is such a low-hanging fruit attack, too. It, it, it's unfortunate right. that now, they There's no attack. proof that that was actually what happened. Right. This is
1: just speculation by Malcovery, which is a company that sponsors Krebs' blog. Uh, and I don't know. I have trouble taking them seriously because of their name. Malcovery. Like they seem to do, yeah, they seem to do decent research, but I just can't take them seriously because of their name.
0: Yeah, the only reason I even really follow them is because Krebs seems to respect them and he, he lets them sponsor. Yeah. So yeah, uh,
1: and and like I've seen some of the research and it looked good. It's just yeah. the name just doesn't uh, some work. Some marketing
0: me. person picked that, I guess. I don't know because yeah, Malcovery is yeah, that's just yeah, it's just icky. It's like using the word cyber, uh, almost.
1: Anyway, uh, we also have a link here. Um, so Krebs contacted BMC and couldn't get them to say much, uh, but the Star Tribune newspaper got some actual quotes from them, so I have a link to their article there. Uh, and BMC says that it's working with McAfee to investigate uh, and make sure that they weren't the oh, causing well, the problem.
0: as long as Intel Security's on the job, then uh, we have nothing to worry about. And then via Twitter, Krebs
1: was... Uh, originally, the Wall Street Journal did a post about... Uh, vendor credentials being used in the attack against target. And, uh, Krebs was like, it looks like you just took my article and redrafted it. Yeah. Uh, and they're like, actually, sorry, that's a coincidence. We're talking about a different vendor. Um, uh, so they claim that there may have been another vendor involved. Uh, and it's not clear exactly what's going on there yet. Uh, although it could possibly just be that it was the vendor that sold target, the BMC software. Right. Then we oh, been a wouldn't
0: that be interesting? <laughs>
1: Yeah, but um, we don't know all the details yet, but uh, that's the problem with vague statements and then filter through nurse services, right? Yeah. That's why I much prefer to get my news from Krebs because I know he's not he's, he's very good about not rewording what other people said so that you know what, you know. The typical information flow for some of this um, cybersecurity stuff tends to be the system administrators and or the security researchers... That were working for Target or whatever, then goes through Target PR, which changes the wording, mm-hmm. uh, which could accidentally change the meaning because the PR person doesn't actually know what any of this stuff is. Mm-hmm. Then it goes into the the Wall, the you know the NBC News or the Wall Street Journal, or whatever, and they change the meaning a little bit more as they reword it, and then it comes out. Yeah. Whereas with Krebs, is you know, he was talking directly to. You know, yeah. his inside people and in that fact, he knows. Even
0: on top of that, like you'll have the say, like, say it actually goes to somebody like the New York Times, then you have 30 sub publications like The Verge and Ars Technica that then also rewrite it yeah. in their Which spin. are
1: Writing it based on their interpretation. And, you know, yeah. we actually saw uh, we had an incident. Well, no, we almost did misreporting on something on BSD now because of that. Uh, you know, two different people read the same uh, paragraph in the uh, quarterly status report. And one of them comes away saying that Jordan Hubbard is now part of the core team when it was just that he got his source commit back, which isn't the same thing. Mm -hmm. You know, they said, well, the core team welcomes him back to being a source committer, not to being on the core team, right? And it's very easy for two different people to read the same paragraph of text and come out with a different interpretation of what it actually means. And so that, Yeah. And that's why we try to filter this stuff down for you and, and why we also provide links to multiple sources so you can try to yeah, get the sure. the common truth out of it and so on.
0: It also looks like – so So now we have the Secret Service is involved with this investigation and the FBI is involved with this investigation. And the FBI apparently sees this as a larger trend against point-of-sale systems and is now sort of investigating well, this as a greater trend. Well,
1: And, and they put out a, a big warning about it and so did uh, U.S. CERT. But part of it was um, – I uh, had a point <laughs> about the Secret Service. Oh no, the FBI. Uh, you know, when we heard originally, there were like five other stores that might have been compromised at the same time as Target that we just haven't heard about yet. Yeah, yeah. And so that would suggest why the FBI thinks that it might have been a greater, a bigger trend. Because mm-hmm. uh, we learned from Krebs that uh, Michaels, the art supply store, right, uh, was
0: um, I meant to put that in the roundup. Yeah, well. the credit card yeah. information, which my wife shops at. All the time. Yeah. Not all the time, but about yeah. once a month she goes down there to an event. And, cool. you know, that's a credit card on file every time she goes. Yeah. Uh, now, uh, I look at this and I think, didn't we just have a conversation last week about how they redacted the username that was used in the malware? Didn't we just well, talk about that last week? And now here bit. it um, is. Just, it's like it's out no, um, it was. Krebs had it
1: two weeks before we talked about the redaction. Uh, the reaction was mostly uh, removing IP addresses and usernames oh, okay. and stuff. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, Part of it was because, you know, if it if, you know, Kroger and Safeway have the same software and that password lets you into it, then having everybody know that might not be a good
0: one, right? Kroger, Safeway, Home Depot, Sam's Club, the Vons companies, among many others, apparently all use this software. Yep. So this is this although we
1: don't know for sure whether that's actually you know, if if just having that installed is enough to make right. you compromise. It right. might have been that somebody accidentally modified something they shouldn't have.
0: Yeah, maybe in group policy, they maybe didn't have it set correctly for service accounts or something like that. But uh I think it's. I think if you zoom out and look at it from the bigger picture, one of the things that is very common for a compromise is these types of systems are a great path in because they usually have exceptions in firewall rules. If you have a multi-subnetted LAN or maybe a DMZ, you usually have an exception to allow the machine in. And a lot of times, like in this case, they have to have some sort of administrative level access. So if you get, if you can ride along with that, then you get administrative level access to the machine. So it's it's really challenging. I think, especially more so in the Windows environment, to have a centralized system like this that has extreme privileges on your network and not have it be essentially the golden ticket for an attacker. Like, what do you? What can people do there, Alan? Sorry, what was the question? But what do you do? So, you use, for example, you have uh, Nagios, right, that watches the yep. Scale Engine network. What steps have you taken so that way if somebody compromises your Nagios server, they don't essentially get direct access to all of the machines it's monitoring? Like with None all of-, of our Nagios can actually log into any of our servers. Uh, most of our monitoring is like
1: SNMP and stuff, which is restricted by IP address. So you would be able to read SNMP, but it's read-only. So you know, most of the stats we're monitoring is just reading stuff from the other server. So it wouldn't actually give you much as far as access to anything, yeah. Uh, and then most of the more sensitive stuff, we long ago switched uh, from pulling stuff over SSH to pushing stuff with Nagios passive. So the servers just collect data locally and then push it into Nagios.
0: So you have see this is so that would work for you with if SNMP works and things like that. It seems like sometimes companies when they get big enough, like somebody like the size of Target, they want to. They want more automation out of that system. They want to be able to do more things from that system, and then that sort of changes your requirements and exposes you to it these types of things.
1: Yeah, um, it can be a problem with having single sign-on and things like that. Right, mm-hmm. if that one administrator account in the global admin group or whatever, and your actual directory gets compromised, that's every server everywhere.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting stuff. Again, uh, some uh, we have an update from BMC linked in the show notes. Uh, Krebs's comment about the Wall Street Journal. And uh, additional coverage from Ars Technica all listed out. This is, you know, it, this, this fits in exactly with what I would expect when I hear these details. Uh, so it doesn't surprise me too much. So just a re- quick recap. Remember, we had, we had malware installed on the point-of-sales machines. Those scraped r- credit card information right from memory, reported it yep. back to a central control server over a Windows share, and then uploaded that up to the Internet to the Russian company. Well, you, you,
1: you saw the diagram, right? The- yeah. We went from the POS machines with the malware that we know about. That Remember, that's the one that got uploaded to ThreatPost, and I think it's uh, it's back public there again. Um, and then that all that data got moved from those POS servers to a server called the dump server, uh, which was on the network that the POS servers could reach. Then they hopped from that server to the exfiltration server, which is one that had access to the internet because the dump server did not. And then... F- once they had a once they had the data on a machine at Target that had the internet, then they could post it to their server in Russia.
0: Craziness, total craziness. So our next story, this Target story, continues to evolve, and, and here we are at 148 episodes. And one of the things that Alan and I discussed before we even went on the air with TechSnap is how we wanted TechSnap to take some of the big stories, some of the big stories that happen in the industry, security and otherwise, and and really continue to follow them because the mainstream media and a lot of other outlets they they carry a hot story and then it gets old and they don't give you follow-ups and oftentimes as the story gets older especially with technical stories like this one you get more good information that's the that's the best time to pay attention and i think exactly it's like usually there's the headline we find out oh target was breached
1: or whatever and then you know now it's like what two or three months later since we had the
0: original story yeah we finally have the details about how it happened yeah and now these are we can take these and apply them to actual like security like real life security and so uh krebs on security is running another fantastic post on uh, now we have physically know like how the malware might have gotten into the network originally right right so as we talked about uh, a couple weeks ago
1: uh, Krebs said that, you know, while he was reporting on the fact that there was some relation to this um, uh, BMC network management software, mm-hmm. uh, that the Wall Street Journal said that their source said it was a different vendor whose credentials had gotten disclosed and they were used to break into the target network. Uh, so now we know the details uh, reported by The Wall Street Journal and Reuters, that the initial intrusion into the target uh, network, was traced back to network credentials that were stolen from a third party. In this case, that vendor was the refrigeration, heating, and air conditioning subcontractor Uh-oh. Uh, that ran the HVAC systems at the Target stores and a bunch of other top retailers. Uh, sources close to the investigation said the attackers first broke into the retailer's network on November 15th of 2013 using network credentials from... Phasio Mechanical Services, uh, which is a company in Sharpsburg, Pennsylvania, that monitors and, and
0: controls the refrigeration and HVAC systems. Isn't this, so these stores like just have people m- remotely monitoring their temperatures all the time, apparently, I guess, to improve customer experience, I guess. Uh, so you know, the real crime here would be, okay, if you need to give these vendors remote access to your HVAC system, freaking separate the HVAC system from the rest of the network. I mean, give me yeah. a break. From from, exactly. use, from user accounts to actual physical network. It's not immediately clear why Target uh,
1: would have given the HVAC company external network access, or why that access wasn't cordoned off from Target's payment network, let alone the rest of their network. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've seen stuff like this before, where uh, the HVAC system of a company in New York—I forget what kind of company—I think it was financial or something—got uh, breached, and then they, you know, sat in the HVAC system and then jumped into the computer networks and infected the computers. And then they cleaned up the computers, and then they just got reinfected again to that same HVAC network. They couldn't figure out how it was getting into their network What's because it was on? coming in from this system that nobody was thinking about. Yeah. And uh, I know Google's HVAC systems got breached before at their office oh, in yeah. Australia.
0: That's and, right. And
1: uh, remember, it had like uh, control of like security cameras and stuff as well. Yeah, I remember. It's all one system. Yeah. yeah. So if you go back in the TechSnap archive, you can find this happening plenty of times before. It's not the first time this has happened.
0: People need to watch more TechSnap, Alan. How many times do we got to tell them?
1: Yep. Uh, according to a cybersecurity expert uh, who works at a large retailer, who asked not to be named because he doesn't <laughs> have permission to speak about this, says it is common for large retailer, uh, retail operations to have a team that routinely monitors energy consumption and temperatures at stores to save on costs, particularly at night, and to alert store managers if temperatures in-store fluctuate outside an acceptable range that could prevent customers from shopping at the store.
0: I want everybody to be comfortable.
1: Right. So, you know, during the winter, it has to be warm enough in the store. And during the summer, it has to be cool enough that people aren't going to be feeling bad inside. And I guess and so. that
0: requires, you know, like probably some temperature sensors on the outside of the building to determine, okay, what temperature are they coming in at? I mean, I'm sure there's a balance. Right. things like that. Out. But mostly it
1: probably makes more sense to have one company that has, you know, an operations center and monitors every Target store Uh or, you know, one company that monitors all the retail stores for a region rather than having each store have a dedicated team of people who monitor the store overnight. You'd think so, right? Yeah. And uh, so in this case, they seem to have network access to log in and make changes to the temperatures and the thermostat settings or whatever, and that it wasn't properly, you know, isolated. Mm -hmm. It seems to me that if you were going to do this, you might look at doing like a reverse tunnel instead. So there's no way to connect from outside into the HVAC system, but the HVAC system maybe VPNs out to the office of the this HVAC controller company. Yeah, and that way, the controller company can access the the uh, HVAC system, but there's no way from the internet
0: to get into the HVAC system. PC PC Wiz in our live chat room wants to know if we would recommend Telnet. No. <laughs> Uh, you know, when I was working for a doctor's office, where obviously there's HIPAA and things to worry about, and they had a piece of equipment that would need troubleshooting from the vendor, they had a little D-Link um, VPN box. And the way this would work is, you would go to this little D-Link VPN box. Well, first of all, what the what the what the doctor's office would do is we'd leave it unplugged all the time, and then when they needed it, we'd plug it in with a little power cord, and it was right where the where the gal who worked down by the computers could get to it. And then there was a web page she would go to to say request support. They'd, like, themed it. You know, they'd done, like, a custom branding. Request support. That would actually, on the back end, initiate a VPN connection to the vendor. They would see the VPN connect, and then they would call. Or, you know, you'd have a call ahead of time to arrange it. And they – so they would get – in, they would get access over that tunnel, but it was initiated by the user for a support need. It wasn't always open. It wasn't always available. And that's kind of like what you're talking about, where the VPN initiates right, from even the customer always side. open, but yeah, that way, so it, it allow, you know normally with a
1: firewall, you generally allow traffic out, but only specific traffic in. Yeah. And this way, you allow no access into the HVAC system, but the HVAC system calls out and keeps this tunnel up, because if this company is going to monitor HVAC 24-7, you need that link up all the time. Yeah. But... Uh, and, you know, that still can expose a danger, right? If somebody breaks into the HVAC controller company yep. and come into that tunnel. Yep. So the HVAC system still needs to be isolated. Like, there's no reason that that's not physically on a completely separate network.
0: Right. I mean, you as the IT administrator never know what's going on at the HVAC company. Maybe they have a disgruntled employee. They have somebody quit. Yep. You know, I was just going through my notes the other day. I was cleaning out some of my Dropbox. And I was seeing, you know, notes in here that I really... No, I know I still have details on some of my old clients' networks that if I ever wanted to do something inappropriate, I'd have a heyday. Like, th- there's not a really good structure people have in place for when vendors leave. Well, and part of that is also that the network shouldn't be designed such that it relies on
1: people not knowing how it's set up mm. to keep it secure, right? Yeah. Like, knowing how it's set up shouldn't give you the ability to reach the network. Right.
0: It's just not going to last. It's not going to work forever. <laughs> right. Yeah. Anyway, uh, sources said that between November
1: 15th and November 28th, which is Thanksgiving Day, in uh, the day before Black Friday uh, in the States, uh, the attackers succeeded in uploading their card-stealing malicious software to a small number of cash registers within the target stores. Uh, Those same sources said the attackers used this time to test that their point-of-sale malware was working as
0: designed. So on Uh, Thanksgiving Day, they're testing out their malware right before Black Friday.
1: Yep. Wow. Wow. Well, it looks like it started on the 15th, so they they ramped up to be ready for uh, Thanksgiving and and Black Friday.
0: I mean, that's Uh, so incredible. Like They knew they were just going to be the busiest shopping day ever. I mean, that's so brilliant, so Uh, devious. Yeah.
1: Well, some reports uh, on the target breach said the stolen credit card data was offloaded by FTP communications to a location in Russia. Uh, Sources close to the case uh, say much of the purloined financial information was transmitted to several drop locations – uh, these are essentially compromised hosts in the United States and Europe and Russia uh, used to house the stolen data where it could then safely be accessed by the perpetrators. So Russia was just one of the many
0: destinations?
1: Yeah, uh, although they suspect the perpetrators were in Eastern Europe and or Russia. Okay. So basically these compromised hosts serve as like, cutouts like in spy novels, right? Uh, you move the data from the target network where everything might be getting logged to this host, and so now... The forensics will say the data went to this host over here. But then you go to that host and you can pull off the data. And once it's gone, you can destroy that host, right? You can erase it or corrupt it or just like, you know, blow away the whole operating system maybe. Depending on how much access you have to it. And because it's a compromised host, not like a rented server, there's no chain of evidence back to you. You know, once you erase those logs and stuff, then there's... You're breaking the, the chain the trail of breadcrumbs back to who did it. And that's why they use dump hosts like that.
0: This blows me away because this is uh, this when you start hearing the details about how they did it, like, you know, using the HVAC vendors login, pre pre deploying the malware to test it, using several drop locations, it honestly sounds like something that you or I could actually come up with. Like we could yep. this sounds within our range of capabilities, so it doesn't take that much. Well, you know. Uh, It depends how they got the data. But,
1: yeah, they could have gotten the password. It seems that there was just a default password for the HVAC system. Jeez. And that maybe that same password let them get into multiple stores. Uh, Yeah, probably.
0: It's probably the same vendor managing many stores, right? So And they have the same Uh, point of sale systems, the same software deployed everywhere. It's perfect.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, they could... It could have just been like insider stuff, right? They just compromised someone that that works there, or someone uh, who used to work at the HVAC vendor. Just went on the hack forum and said, "Hey, I happen to know that secret password that they don't change. Uh, would anybody like to buy that for a few thousand dollars?" Right. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and that's the kind of stuff that can happen. Yep. Yep.
0: <clears throat> it's good. I'm really. I'm actually. I'm a little I, I sound like I'm like I'm a little impressed on one on one hand because it's just like it's evil genius brilliant and it actually seemed right. very straightforward and and I'm also very happy we're getting some real quantifiable details that we can take as educational lessons from this exactly. and, and say oh I'm well, not going to
1: do that. Things were kind of up there and low it's like uh, when we were talking about that BMC software right. yeah. they were like they're denying it do we believe them? And it turns out that, yes, but maybe it wasn't their fault.
0: Yeah, I mean, maybe they had some crappy system account password, but it's not really the vent- that software vendor's fault. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Any other But thoughts on it,
1: it, it's just more examples of bad practices, right? So it's not the HVAC vendor. It's not the only person who has a default vendor password. Right. We've seen this happen on like 10 different devices now.
0: Yeah, I know. We, we see it happen all the time on this show.
1: And it's well, kind there's of, a secret account that if you just know the password for, it gives you root access on everybody's device.
0: I mean, the dirty secret, I mean, the dirty truth, really, it's not even a secret, is this is a systems network administration podcast. And so often these vulnerabilities, some of the, I mean, a lot of the blame can be placed on the system administrators. Now, a lot of times, you know, they have corporate pressures and, and politics they're struggling with and low budget. So it's not really their fault. But if their job would have been, been allowed to execute as it should, some of these things would have been prevented. Like if they could have right. had somebody in there who was isolating this HVAC network, that would have well, yeah, saved like, hundreds like this, of millions H, of dollars.
1: This HVAC network should have consisted of the HVAC system and a router yeah. that VPN out to yeah. the yeah. – or even allowed the VPN in. Really yeah. bad setup, but allowed yeah. – Or put it in a DMZ separate. or something. I yeah, mean – It's just completely physically separate. So that a misconfiguration can't cause it to be compromised.
0: I wonder if the, the, the scale of deployment, so let's say just for a rough number, Target has 100 stores, but you know it's a lot more than that. But let's say they have 100 stores. They have to replicate that solution 100 times. And if that meant 100 separate routers, 100 separate internet connections, they just don't want to do it. It's too yeah, much but money. But if
1: the solution literally consists of a yeah. $50 D-Link.
0: Yeah. I was that no problem? Well, and like, uh, there's a figure in here. Uh, target right now could be facing losses of $420 $20 million as a result of this breach. $420 million.
1: I don't know what those numbers are based on.
0: So it says that uh, it's based on recovering the cost of the uh, millions of cards, fines from the card uh, brands, and for non-PCI compliance, and direct target customer service costs, including legal fees, credit monitoring, and tens of millions of customers impacted by the breach.
1: I guess yeah, they would have to pay for the credit monitoring. And if yeah, if the if some of the things they were doing were not PCI compliant, then yeah. the the credit card issuers, which would be on the hook for all the fraud committed on these stolen cards, would then find Target for it. So.
0: And the other so here's the other thing is uh, that figure does not include estimates to take into account how much Target will spend in the run-up to implementing technology at their checkout counters to accept more secure chip and pin credit and debit cards. In testimony before lawmakers on Capitol Hill yesterday, Target's executive vice president and chief financial officer said upgrading the retailer's systems to handle chip and pin could cost them $100 million. Depends
1: on what they're changing, but, you know. Cheaper than twenty. You're right. If Target was on the path to do chip and pin, like, 10 years ago. We talked about this. Yeah. Um, and it it just seems like, if they had just done that,
0: <laughs> now uh, Krebs notes that Target may be able to cover some of those costs through a mesh of network business business insurance claims. Uh, this was Target has at least 100 million of cyber insurance and 65 million of I know directors uh, and uh, offers liability coverage too. So, but still, it, you know they're going to they're several hundred million. Do- this is going to cost them seven hundred million dollars insurance or not. Yep. So you're right. When you talk about this, is what system administrators face. When you talk about the cost of replicating an isolated network with routers and independent internet connections a hundred times or four hundred times, how many locations they have? I bet you it's not nearly as much as four hundred twenty million dollars and the massive PR setback they have over this.
1: Right. Well, it seems having a separate network for the HVAC system for every single Target store in North America would probably should be able to be done for under a million dollars if you don't count so? man hours and stuff. You would think so?
0: Before we go any further, let's thank our friends over at Ting, a fantastic sponsor of the TechSnap program. TechSnap.Ting.com is where you go to support this show and get yourself a $25 discount off a Ting device. Or if you've got a device you want to bring with you, you're going to get $25 in service credit. Average monthly bill per per line is like $23. Bucks. So if you're going to get $25 service credit, that's pretty nice. It's really simple how it works. It's a flat rate Starts at $6. That gets you the line. However you want to utilize the line at that point, well, it's like you're an adult that can make your own choices. You just use your minutes, messages, and megabytes, and whatever you use is what you pay for. It's $6 for the line, and you use it however you want. They have a great control panel, awesome customer service. You get to speak to a real human being, and they have all kinds of devices for you to choose from. Uh, You can start by going to techsnap.ting.com. I'm going to mention right now they have it on sale a uh, iPhone 5s, I think it's a refurb. The 5s, silver, 288 bucks, unlocked, no contract. You only pay for what you use. This is a great phone. Uh, this is a really nice phone if you don't if you don't want something that's Android uh, with a great camera, good battery life, nice size for 288 dollars, no contract. They got a whole range of devices, everything from SIM cards, feature phones, nice entry level Android phones. Up to like the high range, iPhones and Androids. Some really nice devices. You buy them directly from Ting. Or like in the case of the Nexus, say, you know what, I want a 5X or I want a a 6P. Yeah, you could get the Nexus 6P from Ting, but you could also just go buy it from Play and put it on Ting and just get the SIM card. It's really simple and it's a really – you know, one more phone I might mention. I keep reading that uh, LG is shipping Marshmallow soon for the LG Volt 2. Uh, That seems like maybe the best – Budget Android phone because it's tri-band LTE, which is nice in a lower-priced Android device. It's gonna get Marshmallow soon, and it's sixty-six dollars with no contract. And that includes the SIM card. Yeah, and it's and and, they, and and LG announced they're gonna upgrade it to Marshmallow soon. I wonder if they have yet. Let me check the specs. No, it's still on Lollipop right now, but it's still got you can still get Lollipop with it, so you still get mm-hmm. a, a fairly recent one. But yeah. I think that's a steal. I I wouldn't be surprised if Ting doesn't have that much longer because people have got to be seeing that and buying that. And you can go there, check it out, support the show. Grab yourself any kind of device, techsnap.ting.com. Go see how Ting is making a difference. You can try out their savings calculator. It's way better than the rest of the mobile industry. techsnap.ting.com. And a big thank you to Ting for sponsoring the TechSnap program. Now, Alan, we must sort of round out our target coverage. And I think if I recall correctly, a total wardrobe disaster is nigh. And, Alan, our first story this week is a little follow-up on the Target breach story. I guess it's been getting some serious um, review, hasn't it? Uh, yeah, there
1: was a report that was prepared for the Senate Committee on Commerce, Science, and Transportation uh, that kind of explains what happened uh, based on everything we know now. Uh, some of it might not be complete until Target finishes its its own forensic investigation. Uh, but this is basically a compilation of the best of everything we know now, Compiled through the lens of what's called kill chain analysis, which basically involves looking at all the things that could have been done to stop the attack, all the different steps, uh, where and why we didn't stop them at that step, and why we didn't stop them at that step, and so on, and uh, how or why each of those wasn't done. Mm. And then, uh, so kill chain analysis was actually developed by security researchers at Lockheed Martin in 2011 uh, because they were always under attack, and they were like, "Well, we need, we can't just." assume that we'll be able to stop every attack at the door. So we need to look at every step that an attack goes through and look at how we can best stop the attack at each of those different phases. Uh, So this analysis suggests that Target missed a number of opportunities along the kill chain to stop the attackers and prevent the massive data breach. Uh, So I guess maybe it makes most sense to start with the timeline at the very end of the PDF file. Mm -hmm. This is the timeline of the Target data breach. And we see that starting back in the beginning of September 2013, we know that Target uh, was certified as being PCI DSS compliant, which is the payment card industry data security standard, which basically means that they follow all the rules and that they shouldn't. It shouldn't be easy for an attacker to steal all the credit cards. Mm-hmm. Now we've talked about it many times how uh, that uh, compliance there is is really not stringent enough. But anyway. Uh, at that time, attackers managed to steal credentials from Fazio, which is the uh, HVAC company. Uh, so then around November 12th, the attackers first breached the target network by jumping in through the um, the company that was monitoring the air conditioning system. Mm-hmm. Between the, uh, November 15th and 28th, the attackers test their different uh, malware on the point of sales machines at target stores. Just a small number to start. Then, on November 30th, uh, they install their malware on every point of sales terminal at Target. Uh, And they also started installing their data exfiltration malware, which was how they were going to manage to get the data they stole out of the Target network. Uh, At that same time, the semantic uh, security software identified malicious activity related to the exfiltration software, and FireEye, uh, which is a so a company that makes a anti, it's not really antivirus, but a intrusion detection software, mm-hmm. uh, alerts there started getting triggered about the point-of-sales malware when it was installed. Uh, then, the attackers installed upgraded versions of the exfiltration malware uh, before they started actually um, taking the data out of the network. That was December 2nd, and FireEye triggered more alerts then. But Target didn't do anything about the alerts. Mm. It seems, uh, as we talked about maybe, it seemed like the alerts were buried and there were so many alerts that they just ignored them instead of actually...
0: Got lost in the noise.
1: Yeah. Uh, And then on December 12th, the Department of Justice notified Target about the breach. And on the 15th, Target confirmed the breach and removes most of the malware. And the attackers lose their foothold in the network. On December 18th, uh, Brian Krebs breaks the story about the Target breach and on the 19th, they publicly announced that 40 million credit cards and debit cards uh, were stolen. And then on January 10th, they upgraded that number uh, to include 70 million people whose personal data was stolen, separate from the credit cards. Wow. Jeez. Uh, so the report identifies a bunch of places where Target could have stopped the attack, but didn't. Uh, first, Target gave network access to a third party vendor, a small Pennsylvania heating, ventilation, and air conditioning company. Uh, which do not appear to follow broadly accepted information security practices. So the the IT security at the HVAC company was lax, which is not too surprised. Not excusable, but not surprising right. considering they're an HVAC company. Right. Uh, the vendor's weak security allowed the attacker to gain a foothold in the target's network. Uh, but then Target appears to have failed to respond to multiple automated warnings from the company's anti-intrusion software, that would be the FireEye stuff and the Symantec stuff, uh, that the attackers were installing malware on, the, on Target's uh, point-of-sale systems and in the servers they used for the exfiltration. What's the point of paying for all this FireEye and Symantec software to detect intrusions if you just ignore them when they get reported to you?
0: Boy, I hope a lot of uh, corporations are listening to that statement because I think that happens a lot, Alan. Yeah, well, they think, oh, we have fire eyes, so we're protected. Mm. But And then they don't properly resource or staff the people who need to be able to monitor it or give them enough time or have enough of, this, of a discussion yeah. around what they want to see from it. It fails at all kinds it's, of levels. It, one of the interesting things is that it actually did detect it. So, it know, was working. <laughs>
1: yeah, uh, that kind of gives me a little more confidence than I would have had in the past about anti-intrusion software.
0: Yeah. Yeah,
1: uh, The attackers who infiltrated Target's network uh, with the vendor credentials appear to have successfully moved from less secure areas of Target's network, the HVAC system, to areas storing customer data suggesting that Target failed to properly isolate its most sensitive network assets. So th- the fact that they were able to go from the HVAC system to the point-of-sales terminals is one strike against Target. But the fact that they're also able to get to the databases where all the customer data is was another strike against them. Right, And uh, we also found out from earlier reports that uh, the attackers had access to all of Target's email as well. Mm, man. So they could partially probably watch uh, the IT department talking about them yeah, and if make they it were. easier to evade. Yeah, yeah, And it's entirely possible if they had that level of access, they might have been able to delete the alerts, uh, the email alerts from FireEye saying, hey, administrator, there's an intrusion.
0: <laughs> I
1: suppose they could Although, have. Yeah. I think uh, FireEye uses a console, it doesn't email you, but you know that, that's, you know It, it shows that why that kind of stuff needs to be separated. Mm-hmm. Email is, is, needs to be very secure, and it's something that a lot of places don't really think about. It's like, oh, if you're in our internal network, you can just go willy-nilly on the email. Yeah. And then it also says, Target appears to have failed uh, to respond to multiple warnings from the company's anti-intrusion software regarding the escape route the attackers plan to use to exfiltrate data from Target's network. Now, uh, also, the other one we heard about was, according to the report by Brian Krebs, the customized version of Black POS, the malware that was used to target the point of sale systems, mm-hmm. that's available on various cybercrime forums for 1800 to $2,300. And that's what was installed on Target's uh, point-of-sales machines. Uh, that malware was described by McAfee's Director of Threat Intelligence Operations as absolutely unsophisticated and uninteresting. While at the same time, the Department of Homeland Security said it was... Very sophisticated. Right. In that it stole data from a point of sales terminal. To some people, that would be considered sophisticated, but apparently, looking at the actual exploit, it was uh, the code, it was not a very well written code.
0: That's what I think it is. I think it kind of depends on your point of view. If you look at something like just the capability of doing, even be able to do this, well, that right there on its face could be considered extremely sophisticated. How you do it, I suppose they don't care so much about the details. And I think, but if you're McAfee
1: and you look at stuff like this every day, you're like, no, that one's a joke.
0: Right. Exactly. There's a reason it only costs $2,000. Yeah. Um, it sounds like there was, uh, I mean, this is right here on the record now, definite proof that there was negligence on the part of Target. Um, I mean, yeah. well, we've discussed uh, that before, we, we, but... Yeah, because, uh, you know, the CIO
1: and some of the people from the security staff said, yeah, we tried to do stuff about it, but they told us that, no, you can't have the money to do it. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, the CIO or whatever stepped down, but... Yeah. So there's another one quote in here. Uh, Target's FireEye malware intrusion detection system triggered urgent alerts with each installation of the data exfiltration malware. However, Target's security team neither reacted to the alarm nor allowed FireEye software to automatically delete the malware in question. Oh. Target's semantic antivirus software also detected malicious behavior around November 28th, uh, implicating the same server flagged by FireEye, or FireEye software. So just that... The correlation of, of multiple uh, different security software saying, hey, something fishy is going on on the server should have caused someone to go look at that server, and it didn't happen. Yeah. Huh. So then uh, we talked a little bit about the the kill chain, so I wanted to just kind of describe the steps in this kill chain. Uh, you have the graphic up for that? It's the uh, third to last page. Third to last? Okay, yep, I can pull it up. It's the one with uh, the definitions of each step? Yeah. yep. That's yep. it. So uh, the first step in the kill chain is recon, right? That's when the attackers are doing research, identifying different systems, selecting who they're going to go after. Uh, for example, these guys probably didn't start out picking target. They were like, where can we break into? And there's like, oh, look, we found right. target." So this wasn't it. their
0: first at time out, right, is what you're saying? This right, is, yeah. but also they didn't
1: pick target and then exploit and then try to find an exploit for target. They went out and said, who can we exploit and happen to find target? Yeah, gotcha. Uh it's really funny to be talking about targets and then the, sh- the storage called target. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> so then you have the weaponize phase, right? That's where you put together uh, remote access malware with an exploit. So that's when you take your, co- your exploit or whatever and stick it in a PDF file or an office file or, mm-hmm. or a Flash or Java exploit and deliver it. So the next step is the delivery. That's how you transmit the weapon to the target, whether that's as an email attachment with like phishing or something. Or just, you know, tricking people into opening it. Or if it's on a website, like a watering hole where you just trick people into going to the website. Or it's a website that we're going to go to anyway, a legitimate website. Mm-hmm. And you just happen to have broken into it and infected it. Or, you know, the old leave a USB stick in the, in the parking lot, right? Yeah, somebody just pick it up, plug it in. Yeah, and then we have the exploit. Once delivered, the weapon code has to be triggered, uh, exploiting the vulnerable application or system. Right. So, yes, you can email someone an attachment, but you have to convince them to open it. Yeah. And once they do, that's when you've exploited the system. And then you have the install phase. That's when the weapon installs a backdoor that allows the attacker persistent access. Right? So, now you have a way that you can get into that system whenever you want. And then you have command and control. That's when you, you're the infection there, the the virus uh communicates with outside servers uh, and allows the attacker to get inside the network, to give instructions, to update the virus or whatever they have to do. And then finally, you have the action phase. That's when the attacker works to achieve their objective, whether that's exfiltrating data like credit cards or, you know, in, in more uh, espionage type cases, stealing plans or designs or right. intelligence data of some kind. Or their goal may just be to destroy the data, right? break in and delete some data uh, or some other further intrusion, right, to now that I've exploited this system, I want to hop into the next one, mm-hmm. which is kind of, as you know, as the attackers broke into the HVAC company, their action was to jump into the target network. And once they broke there, they had to break into the, the point-of-sales network and so on. So they actually went through this whole thing multiple times as well, right? They go through the kill chain in multiple occasions. And then uh, the second-to-last image page of the PDF actually shows the timeline and the various chances uh, that Target missed in order to stop the attack. Right. So during the recon, weaponize, and deliver phase, the attackers took advantage of weak security at Target's vendor to gain a foothold in Target's inner network. Right. So if the HVAC company had had better security, they mm-hmm. wouldn't have got to the recon phase. During the delivery and exploit phase, Target missed warnings from its anti-intrusion software that the attackers were installing malware on their network. Right? They had... Basically, a month's notice that something Hickey was going on and they just ignored it. Then, through the delivery, exploit, and install phase, the attacker took advantage of weak controls within target's own network to successfully maneuver into the more sensitive areas. All right? If the HVAC control system had been isolated so that you couldn't get to the point-of-sale systems from there, then they would have never been able to deliver the exploit to the point-of-sales machines. Right or exploit them or install so. And finally, during the command and control and action phase, target missed information provided by anti-intrusion software again about the attacker's escape plan, which allowed the attackers to steal the 110 million customer records. Uh, If they had been monitoring the network activity more closely, they would be like, what's this FTP connection to Brazil or Russia?
0: (laughs) Maybe we shouldn't allow that. (laughs) Yeah, they might have caught that.
1: Yeah, and if they had managed to shut that down, they maybe could have stopped a lot of the cards from being able to leave the network, and the attackers wouldn't have got as many credit cards as they did. So, yeah, Target missed a lot of opportunities there uh, to do that. But, yeah, uh, so also in the story here, I've linked uh, a video kind of explaining some of the, the kill chain, how, how Lockheed came up with the kill chain. Then there's their paper called the Intelligence-Driven Computer Network Defense Informed by Analysis of Adversary Campaigns in Intrusion Kill Chains, which is an awesome name for an academic paper. No kidding. (laughs) And it basically describes how they came up with the system and how you can use it to uh, protect your network.
0: Very good. and and
1: How there's basically different steps you have to take to protect yourself at each of those different levels of the attack and how you can, uh, you know, even if you miss the chance uh, to stop them from exploiting uh, a vulnerability to get inside your network, yeah. if you can then detect or stop them from installing the malware, then they can't get to the command and control phase, and they can't ultimately get to the action phase. Mm.
0: Interesting, and um, um, more damning of target than I expected. Not that I didn't expect them to be, but uh, 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 at you know no fault or lack any fault, but uh, to me. It seems well, pretty clear it's, there were several points of critical failure, and the most yeah, obnoxious well, one is the logging that they just were completely ignoring, because that's something anybody, no matter what your scale, does have the capability of getting their hands around if they really dedicate the time and resources yep. to it.
1: It's, yeah, I guess it's, it's almost more damning that they had all that, all those chances they missed them. Like, if they yeah. just not, if they had just not had FireEye installed. Right. And not been triggered, then... It'd be slightly yeah. less offensive. Yeah, even though Technically, you should be more uh, upset the fact that they didn't have that. But at the same time, yeah, the fact that they had the information and just didn't use it uh, makes it work.
0: Alan, it's like when you get your wife pregnant and you had the condom in the drawer next to the bed. You know, you had I the suppose. you had the means to prevent the accident, but it still happened. And now your CTO gets fired. That's what you know. That's how it goes, Alan. <laughs> sure. I hope you enjoyed the look back at the Target breach. That was a heck of a story, and I yeah. bet you it's not even fully done yet. If I was a betting man, we may still eventually hear more from it, Alan. You never, you never know. And now and, there's other stories.
1: The other one to look at
0: is, uh, I think we covered it, right? Huh?
1: Do you remember covering why Target failed to get off the ground in Canada?
0: I think we did cover that story. I'm sure uh, we did. Uh, it
1: was I kind don't of remember a, when it was yeah. a while ago, but it was basically all about just bad corporate software. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, it was like an IT catastrophe. Yeah, it was IT free like like, like yeah, because they were unable to use their computers properly to actually manage shipping the products to the stores. And so everybody came to the store and all the shelves were empty because they couldn't ship anything. Right. Jeez. And their warehouses were overflowing and they were paying money for extra warehouse space to hold all the stuff and they still couldn't find it and ship it to the stores because their computer software was put together in a hurry and badly.
0: Well I'm looking forward, Alan, when we get back to hearing how it went at uh, the yes. open source data center conference. Yes. I see you have a talk uh, there too, so maybe yes. we'll get a maybe we'll get a little report on how it went. Mm. I'm I'm looking forward now I'll probably have tons of stories to share from Linux Fest Northwest. If you have stories you want to share, things that you're noticing out in the headlines, something maybe the TechSnap community might be interested in, TechSnap.reddit.com is where you go to share that. We also would love to have your emails, your questions, and your feedback. We didn't get to any this week, so we will have lots to answer. So please do send it in. We'll get a whole batch going in the next couple of episodes. Go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact and just choose TechSnap from the drop down. And then we'll dig through that mailbag and answer your questions in the upcoming episodes. Pretty easy. Oh, also, RSS feeds are available. You can subscribe right. and get the show on demand. And last but not least, you should also watch us live. You can catch it over at slash calendar at 1 p.m. Pacific, which is 4 p.m. Eastern, uh, 200 UTC. There you go, at jblive.tv. Okay, everybody, thanks so much for tuning in this week's episode of TechSnap, and we'll see you right back here next week.